following sermon podcast is a glimpse into the community of Central Bible Church, where we strive to welcome everyone into Jesus' life. We hope that you can join us for this Sunday service as we gather together seeking to live in and for Christ. Thank you, ladies. That was great. I always look forward to that every year, the singing of O Holy Night. Well, welcome. Uh, I'm Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, If you are new, uh, welcome to our family. Uh, If you have been here for a long time, we're glad that we can uh, celebrate Christmas together. Uh, Some of you may have noticed Julie Engelman is here. Wave your hand, Julie. All the way back from Zambia. Julie is one of our missionaries. She's, I think she, you grew up at this church, right? So she's been here a long time. So many of you can say, I grew up in this church. She's part of that crew. Uh, we are thankful that you are here. I love Christmas. I unashamedly love Christmas. In the Pratt household, we, uh, we have a tradition of putting up our Christmas tree and decorating and putting up our lights uh, about the first week of November. Um, we have a fake Christmas tree so that we can just leave it up as long as we want, and we don't need to worry about it burning our house down. We don't have to put any water in it. Uh, it goes up early, and we sing Christmas songs, and the Sonos is playing every day, some different version of Christmas, uh, and we, we love Christmas. The problem with Christmas is it goes too quick. Today is the 23rd, Right? which means tomorrow's the Christmas Eve, and then the following day is Christmas, which is great, and then the following day is the most depressing day of the year because then we have to wait 364 more days for Christmas to come back. You can, the struggle is real. And so we, we love Christmas, and I love Christmas because I love Christmas songs. Didn't always used to be this way, but I love Christmas songs, and I love Christmas songs because at no other time of the year is it culturally appropriate and okay to sing the type of songs with the lyrics that are in these songs? So just a, a couple of examples. Uh, we have, Oh, come let us adore him, speaking of, of Jesus. Or, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Uh, let earth receive her king. That's, I mean, that's pretty radical. Uh, or in Silent Night, which is my favorite song, it says, Christ the Savior is born. And all throughout the year, it's unbelievably not okay to say these words, but then all of a sudden, everybody and their mom sings these songs uh, in large gatherings, around Christmas trees, uh, in public, everywhere, and nobody evaluates the words. Nobody looks at what they say. It's just what we do. It's tradition. And so, Christmas is uh, a wonderful time that we get to focus on the birth of our Savior. The, the God who made himself flesh, our God who made himself flesh, to come down to walk with all of us, to experience what we've walked and what we experience in order uh, to love and to sacrifice uh, more. So I, uh, I'm going to read uh, out of Luke. I think it's very appropriate that we read uh, the nativity story. And so if you have your Bible, please open it up to Luke chapter 2. And if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, that is awesome. It's page 724. 
So we're going to go Luke 2, and then I'm just going to read till I don't feel like reading anymore. Does that sound all right? <laughs> the birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. That's a hard one. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David. Because he belonged to the house and line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for coming and living and dwelling among us. Thank you for making yourself real and coming to live among us, to walk with us, and ultimately dying for us. In this season, Lord, I pray that we would take a moment to pause, to reflect on that, and to give thanks for the sacrifice that you made for us. Be with us this morning as we, as we go through your scriptures and as we um, think about you, that we would internalize it and then share the good news um, that you have given us. Amen. So as Christians, we celebrate Christmas because we are celebrating uh, the ultimate act of love poured out for all humanity. Jesus being born in the flesh was the beginning of the climax of the beginning of the climax of a story that had been happening for a long, long time. The third century patriarch uh, Athanasius said it so well. I'm going to put this quote up here because this is, I think this is just brilliant. It says, God came to show us what love is. That love is more than a feeling. Love is more than an idea or a song lyric. Love requires sacrifice. Love thinks about the other and works for other's salvation. And so God showed us in the flesh what love looks like. 
The incarnation is the ultimate divine accommodation whereby God comes down to meet us at our level as a parent stoops down to speak to a beloved child. By becoming man, Jesus affirms that we're not just another creature. We are his beloved masterpiece, masterwork. We as human souls are pronounced as the bridge between the spiritual and the material world. So the nativity scene is beautiful. We just kind of read that a little bit. The nativity scene is beautiful, but I don't think we always fully think about why it's so beautiful. And I think it's beautiful because it it illustrates how and and kind of why God operates, the way he operates. Jesus didn't come with great fanfare and hype, but instead came humbly and lowly with little to no notice. Mary wasn't Facebooking her birth story for everybody to see as she brought Jesus. Joseph wasn't Instagramming where they were staying, their accommodations, you know, snap the photo, hey, check out this sick stable that we're staying at. The hay is so rustic. Next time you're in Bethlehem, check this place out. It happened with basically nobody knowing. Now the Son of God entered the world in the most unlikely of ways. When kings are born in palaces, he was born in a stable. When kings were born with attendants nearby helping them out, Jesus had donkeys and sheep. Jesus entered the world as a servant because he knew that serving was the only real way to love. The type of love that says, I'll make myself low in order to serve you, in order to raise you up and to to sacrifice for you. Even being born in a stable, I think, perfectly represents what Jesus did. Just as a stable is dark and dimly lit and stinky and dirty, Jesus entered a world with all sorts of filth and darkness in order to bring light and love to it. So stepped into it, and he stepped into it to the very, very bottom. And because of the humble nature of the nativity scene, all of the major players in the nativity scene had to sacrifice in a certain pretty profound way. And I think often we don't think about that. See, Joseph, he was sacrificing, he sacrificed a lot. He sacrificed in a culture where status was everything he sacrificed his status. How you ranked in the social ladder affected where you could do business, the friends that you would make, and then ultimately where your place in Jewish worship was. Joseph was going from being a man who was respected in his community with a bright future to somebody who was marrying somebody who was having a child out of wedlock. Joseph would be asked to raise that kid, the kid who wasn't his, and in today's culture, that, that we don't even think twice about that. But in this culture, it would have been unheard of and completely uncommon. Imagine being Joseph. Put yourself in his footsteps. You're a good man. You're probably in your mid to late 20s. You've established a career as a carpenter. You have great reviews on Yelp. You are just getting going. You're ready to start a family. You've talked with the parents of a young girl named Mary. They have agreed that you would be a fine husband for her and that you would take care of her in the way that a husband in that age should. You've gone on some dates with Mary. You've discussed your Myers-Briggs and your Enneagram results. You've agreed what kind of donkey you'll get when you get older. 
where you want a honeymoon. It's the Mediterranean, not the Dead Sea. And you're ready to go. Then one day, you're Joseph, remember, one day Mary comes to you. Things are going great. And she says, Mary, or Joseph, I think you should sit down for this one. So I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm pregnant, but I didn't sleep with anybody. Uh, and I'm actually pregnant with the Son of God. Hear me out. An angel came to me, uh, said I was going to be pregnant, and uh, I, his name is to be Jesus. And you would have thought in your mind, if you're, if you're Joseph, man, she is crazy loco. Like, you are you're thinking this situation, either this is the worst excuse ever, it's the Son of God, or she has lost her mind. But Joseph, uh, being a faithful man that he is, at first he did think this, there's some issues, and he, it says in the Bible that he, he quietly uh, said that he would divorce her in order to not bring her shame. Um, but after some reflection, he came around, and he realized that it would be a heavy cost, and there would be a heavy sacrifice. Um, but Joseph moved forward to marry with her out of love. Joseph's love for God compelled him to sacrifice in this story. Then there's Mary. Beyond her reputation, Mary sacrificed her future. A young girl who was living an ordinary first century Palestinian life, her plan would have been to get married, uh, to have some kids, to take care of her household, um, Nowhere in that plan or her parents' plan was there to be uh, the mother of the Son of God. That was completely out of the plan. And because being this, I mean, I think you can picture this, but that being the mother of the Son of God pretty much flips all of your plans on its head and changes the trajectory for where you were going. It wouldn't be ordinary anymore. And so imagine yourself as a 13, 14, 15-year-old girl. Some of us, that's harder than others. Um, but imagine you're that. For some of this, uh, for, for, for us in our culture, um, it's, a, it's a culture, in this case, that's dominated by men. It's a, a patriarchal society. And so for the most part, you do, for Mary, you would have done what your parents would have asked you to do. They would have picked your husband for you. Um, and in this case, they picked a nice one. I think Joseph was a good guy. That man would have been older than you. He would have been more experienced in life than you. Um, and he would have been the one to provide for you in this culture. And so as you were preparing to be married, if you're married, married being married, you would have been waiting. You would have been waiting uh, and, and getting ready to go from living in your parents' household um, to, in this case, Joseph's, Joseph's household. And so you're married, you're waiting, and then one day you're visited uh, by an angel and who says, Mary, you're going to be the mother of my son. You're going to be the mother of the son of God, whose name will be Emmanuel, and you'll name him Jesus. Now, that would have been shocking and, and really confusing, uh, and I think if I would have been in Mary's footsteps, I, I would have freaked out, like really freaked out, and then I would have eaten an entire flying pie pizza just to do something, and then I would have freaked out more. And then I would have probably cried a lot and said that this isn't fair, this is wrong, this is crazy, why me, all of that. I would have lost my mind. That's, among many other reasons, that's why God didn't make me marry. 
But, but Mary, you could tell, you know, she felt the weight of this. She knew that it would never be the same for her. Her social circle would forever look different. Not only because she's getting pregnant out of wedlock, but moving further, she is becoming Mary, the mother of the Son of God. The Mary, the mother of Jesus, the one who would die on the cross for humanity. She, she's the celebrity mom who people now all know. Her life would have been much different. And so Mary's love for God compelled her to sacrifice in a profound way. Mary and Joseph, they didn't just believe. They showed it with their actions. They followed through on their faith. Did they have questions? Yeah, they had a lot. Did they have fears? A whole ton of them. But those led them to trust in God and what he was doing rather than trusting in themselves. And I think one thing that's really interesting that we all need to think about is that sacrificing doesn't happen on accident. You don't sacrifice on accident. It's not something you stumble into. It's a conscious choice that you make to sacrifice on, somebody, on behalf of somebody else or something. It takes real intentionality. And then there's Jesus. Jesus sacrificed more than anyone in this story. Jesus sacrificed being in heaven with his father, something that I think was pretty cool, and in order to come down with us. He left his relationship with the father in order to step into the brokenness of this world and to experience the pain and suffering that exists. He experienced and witnessed firsthand the ravaging effects of sin on his creation, the diseases and the ailments um, that break down and destroy the beautiful bodies that he created. Cancer, diabetes, Ebola, heart disease, autoimmune issues, mental health issues, Alzheimer's, all of those things. He experienced those. He experienced what his creation experiences so that out of love, he could make the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. He also came to experience the injustices of his his creation, who were and still are exploiting those who are vulnerable and defenseless. The widow who is conned into giving away all of her money. Or the foster child who is passed from family to family to family, to family, before being released into a world that is cruel with little to no tools in their belt. Or the refugee who has fled their war-torn country, who has left, left everything and everyone that they know. Or the sex worker who is day in and day out asked to do inexplicable things on camera to fuel the sexual tsunami that is ravaging our world because of loneliness and brokenness. Jesus loves his creation so much that he sacrificed everything in order to walk amongst his people. But it was a sacrifice he was willingly, willing to make because he knew that his creation was worth it. He knew that we were worth it. And he loved them and he loves us. Jesus' love compelled him to make the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. At this point, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. I'm going to invite Mackenzie to come up because she's our, she's our resident Hebrew expert. 
I am not. And so I, I've asked her to come up here to give us a little Hebrew lesson and then also how that Hebrew lesson has affected her personally when it comes to this idea of sacrifice. So Mackenzie. This is a really great definition of hesed. Hesed is driven not by duty or legal obligation, but by a bone-deep commitment, a loyal, selfless love that motivates a person to do voluntarily what no one has a right to expect or ask of them. Another helpful word I like to use to describe hesed is it's kind of a stubborn love. It doesn't give up. It's really determined, uh, but it's kind. It's not mean about it, um, but it's a love that never gives in. It never gives up. It never sinks to the other person's level, but it fights stubbornly yet kindly to step in and meet a person's need, be it big or small. And the stories of hesed in the Old Testament that I have read always involve sacrifice, but the sacrifice is enacted from a place of fierce loyalty and kindness. And it's not necessarily a feeling of loyalty and kindness, but a choice to be loyal and kind. Hesed is the love that we are called to live out because hesed is what fueled God to forgive Israel every time she fell short. Every time she broke her covenant with God, every time they worshipped false gods, every time they found themselves in need, every time that Israel doubted him, Yahweh acted out of his hesed love, his steadfast love, and he stepped in and he did for them something that they did not deserve, something that they had no right to. Hesed love is what fueled the Father to send his Son for us. And Hesed love is what motivated Jesus to accept the will of the Father and come to this earth in human form to die for us. So in a nutshell, Hesed is the gospel lived out. It is the incarnation of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. It is the epitome of Hesed love. And this word for me, like I said, it's hard. I love the meaning. It's, it's deep. It's strong. It's powerful but it is a word that haunts me because it's so difficult to actually live out. But I want you guys to close your eyes for a minute, and we're just kind of going to meditate on Hesed. We're going to meditate on the gospel for a moment here. So close your eyes with me. And whether you know Christ intimately today or you know, don't know him at all, whether you have walked in relationship with him for years or you are just meeting him today, this is a message, the gospel message, that we need to hear over and over again. Think of how undeserving we are of such hesed love. We walk this broken life filled with so much pain, suffering, loneliness, anxiety, enmity. Each of us taking turns playing the wounded and the wounder but Christ stubbornly loves us. He became flesh. He took on our humanity. He knows our weakness and our pain. He knows that feeling of loneliness. He knows our pain and suffering intimately. His sacrifice for us was costly. 
but his stubborn love, his bone-deep commitment to us is why we can now experience right relationship with him and right relationship with one another. It's through the shedding of his blood for us on the cross and his resurrection that we can know true hope, peace, joy, and love that we can do hesed to one another, that we can experience life as it was intended, life filled with purpose and meaning, community, connection, love, and trust. So I want you to let Christ's hesed love wash over you this morning. Let his love move us to repentance of all the ways we have wounded others or wounded Christ. The times we have rejected his love or hurt his creation. And then let us acknowledge Christ as the true king of this kingdom and the true savior of our lives and this broken world. You guys can open your eyes. So once we acknowledge this, we want to move to application. How do we live this out? And like I said, for me, this is, it's never going to go away. I'm going to struggle my whole life to, to uh, do hesed to other people. But it's something that's been weighing on my heart this season um, very heavily. And so I want to welcome Andrew back up. He's going to help give us some ways that we can practically uh, implement love, the love of Christ into our lives. Yeah, thank you. We were meeting this week, and she said all that to me, and I said, oh, you should just say it, not me, because I will mess that up. So thank you so much. That was great, Mackenzie. I appreciate that. So examples, application. That's really what it comes down to. Uh, Christ died for us, and he came to live with us uh, to set an example for us so that we would go set an example and to live that out for others. And so if we just internalize this, if we just internalize the scripture and we know in our head that uh, Christ walked with us and sacrificed for us, but then don't do anything, uh, we've completely missed the point. And so I want to give some examples. Uh, And I tried to get pretty specific here. I obviously haven't um, covered everything, but I wanted to give uh, some examples of how to sacrifice for Uh, for your community, for your family, both in here and out of here. Uh, And I think when you look at our culture, sacrifice, um, I think if we're honest, the thing that we value the most is time. We value time. You can always make more money in most cases. Uh, You can always get more stuff. You can't get more time. There's a limited amount of time. And I think the older you get, the more acutely aware of that you are. And so because of that, time, in my opinion, is the most valuable commodity that we can sacrifice and share with others. But yet, because of that, it is the most profound way we can love people at the same time. Nothing says I love you more than I'm going to give up my time to go do something or be with you uh, to do something or to help you. And so maybe that means, example number one, giving up uh, some time in your evening and inviting somebody into your home for dinner. 
whether that would be a, a neighbor, whether that be a, a widow, whether that be somebody who sits all the way on the other side of the sanctuary that you don't normally talk to. You pursue them, or the other way, or the people in the middle, kind of cross the aisle, and invite them to your house. Invite them and give up an evening where normally you would watch Netflix or uh, Amazon Prime, or you would be reading your favorite book, or scrolling through Instagram, or in my case, doing my favorite home remodel project. You give up something that is valuable for you in order to say, this other person who I don't know that well, I want to show them love in a tangible way, whether it be over a meal, over a dessert, or whatnot, you name it. Giving up your time in that way. Or maybe it's helping around the church. There are so many ways that we can help around the church. Whether that be a work project on our, our building that, you know, it could use a little help. Not a lot, but a little. Or volunteering on a Sunday morning. Funny thing. Did you guys notice that we changed the pews today? Do you know why we changed the pews? Because it takes two less people to run offering. Dead serious. We got rid of one aisle to make it so we need less volunteers. There is need to contribute to our church body in tangible ways. And so I think we've, as a church culture, we've created this, uh, as this American church culture, this Western church culture, we've created this for our people where we've allowed, it, we've allowed them to walk in to listen to sermons, to sing songs, to experience the programming and the coffee, and then to walk out. And then I think often when we walk out, we spend less time reflecting on what was shared and how the Spirit was working, and more of, man, the sermon was really long and boring today. Uh, the worship was so loud, I couldn't hear it, and I didn't know the songs. Um, the coffee was all right. The, the announcements were hilarious this week. Uh, but the building is falling apart. I give it's C minus this week. But instead of walking out and being with your family and going to lunch and saying, man, how could I sacrifice more for our church family? How could I contribute to the needs of the family and help those areas that maybe aren't as nice or as effective as I would like? How can I be helpful? How can I sacrifice my time and my energy? Maybe I should show up a few minutes early to church in order to help with something that I think could be better. So when you start to get critical, start thinking, how can we sacrifice? Because we're a family, right? We're a family, and in a family, you sacrifice for one another. When the dishes pile up, somebody's got to do them. Or maybe it means taking another example. Maybe it means taking a meal to somebody who's in need. Maybe they just had a baby, or they just got out of the hospital, or they are working extra hours at, at, at work because they're trying to make more money, uh, and they just don't have time to make a meal, or they could just really use a break one evening. It takes time to sacrifice. It takes time to be in the kitchen for a couple of extra hours. And then it takes probably just as much time to drive across town in traffic in Portland to deliver that meal. But that's a tangible way that we can sacrifice and show love to people in our church family. Or one that's dear to me. Uh, you could offer to watch somebody's kids. 
Uh, that's the sacrifice. Watching somebody's kids and recognizing that you might have the opportunity to watch somebody's kids because you don't either have kids or your kids are older or you haven't had kids yet, whatever it may be. Um, giving parents, giving couples or single moms the opportunity to go out and get some time to just be by themselves or be with one another, to have a meal, to just talk, to have a meal where their kids aren't interrupting them or trying to do something, just talk, to work on their marriage, to, to grow in health. I can't think of many ways that we can help our church family more than by building up the marriages of the people that go to our church. I think that would be an incredible way to continue to sacrifice for those who are here. Or maybe it's sacrificing your time in very specific ways out of love for other people. Um, I often have uh, some of our seniors who approach me and say, I'm having problems with my computer. Can you help me? And I said, I'm having problems with my computer. Can you help me? I don't do technology well, but I know that there's some young people here who do. Sacrificing a half an hour or an hour out of your time to figure out how to sync a calendar or to sync contacts or to figure out why the computer won't turn on or something like that. There are ways that you can sacrifice your tangible giftings. Maybe it's fixing something. Maybe it's giving parenting advice or financial advice to people in our church family. Practically give of your evening, give of your afternoon, take somebody out to lunch because you love them and you want to sacrifice your time. And then this is the this last one. This one, this is probably the hardest for me. Listening. Like genuinely listening to people. That's hard. Taking the time out of your day to not give advice, but just to listen. Maybe somebody in here is going through a really hard time and they just want somebody to let them cry or to drink a cup of coffee with them to tell them that they're not crazy. That often feels like wasting time, doesn't it? Letting somebody just talk to you. Like, we're not doing anything. We're not accomplishing anything. Your life's not getting any better. But sometimes we just need to listen. That's love, sacrificing your time for somebody else. That's what Christ did for us. He sacrificed coming here to earth to love us. So I'm going to read that quote one more time as we land this plane. God came to show us what love is. That love is more than a feeling. Love is more than an idea or a song lyric. Love requires sacrifice. Love thinks about the other and works for the other's salvation and is the ultimate divine accommodation whereby God comes down to meet at our level. I totally messed that up, didn't I? God showed us in the flesh what love looks like. The incarnation is the ultimate divine accommodation whereby God comes down to meet us at our level as a parent stoops down to speak to a beloved child. By becoming man, Jesus affirms that we're not just another creature. We are his beloved masterwork. We as human souls are pronounced as the bridge between the spiritual and the material worlds. And so again, Advent is the time of the year where we focus on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The one who made himself human in order to sacrifice for his creation. And so as apprentices of Jesus in this Christmas season, we are to follow in his footsteps, sacrificing for one another and those in the community around us, in our neighborhoods and in our places of work. 
Loving sacrifice means that we consider others as miracles of the most high God. And how we serve them and sacrifice for them reveals in a very tangible way how much Jesus Christ loves them. Just as we go out of our ways to serve others, Jesus Christ went out of his way to serve us by dying on the cross. Humanity was relationally broken, broken from from God. And because God loved his, his creation so much, he wanted to do something about it. Humanity was inwardly focused and selfish. And God walked among his people, showed them how to live, and then ultimately died on the cross for their salvation, for our salvation. And so today, if you don't know Christ, if you are here and you don't know Christ, maybe this is your first time in church, maybe this is your 150th time in church, or you've been in church your entire life, and you have yet to decide to follow after the the God most high, the one who sacrificed everything for you, I cannot encourage you enough or invite you enough to begin that relationship this morning. Recognizing that you can't do it on your own, that brokenness that you feel inside, you can't fix that. Those around you can't fix that. Only the God who sacrificed on the cross can. The one who gave up everything for you putting aside our selfish desires, knowing that it's all about him, making him Lord of your life. That's the easy part. But then the hard part is apprenticing and following after Jesus and every day saying, I'm going to choose to live for him. The way he is sacrificed for me, I'm going to sacrifice for others. And it's not easy and you fail. And sometimes some days are better than others. But like Uh, Mackenzie was saying, it's that rugged commitment, that stubborn commitment that he has given to us, that he has shown to us, we are to show to him. And so as we close, we're a family, Central Bible. We are a broken, weird, awkward, dysfunctional, crazy family going into Christmas. And guess what? That's every church. We are no different. And so we get to come together as a a church, not just now over Christmas, but moving forward each and every week, every single day in our community groups, where we get to lovingly be committed to one another and sacrificing for one another. And so as we go out of here, don't hit the Christmas tree on the way out. Let's not think about what could have been better with my sermon. There's lots of things. I'll listen to it later and critique myself. Um, and others will critique me as well. Don't think about the worship, about how it could have been better. Think about the words. As we leave, think about how we can sacrifice more for one another. How can we sacrifice for our community? As we go to lunch, let's talk about it with our friends. Let's talk about it with our kids. Let's talk about it with our spouses. And then actually say, what can we do? How can we sacrifice? How can we resist the temptation to to complain? How can we resist the temptation and instead ruggedly and steadfastly sacrifice and love for one another as we show our love for Christ? After, uh, I'm going to wrap up here. I'm going to pray. Our worship team is going to come up. And I'm going to go and I'm going to stand in the back with some of our other elders and deacons in our prayer space. And if you don't know Christ or if you just need prayer, 
You just want somebody to pray over you. Maybe something's happening in your life. Come back. I invite you. Don't, don't not take advantage of an opportunity for somebody to pray for you uh, today. Don't leave here wishing you would have come back. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we're so convicted that, at least I am convicted, that I don't love others the way you have loved us. Help me, help us, to each and every day to grow in our ability to sacrifice for one another. That each and every day we would be making the small decisions to faithfully um, show your love to other people. That we would be a family. A family um, that continually points people back to you. That points people to your Hesed love. The one that's always chasing us down, always forgiving us, always calling us to a better life. That we would be apprentices following after you. And that as we head into this Christmas season, that we would focus, or this Christmas time, that we would focus on you. That is the craziness of family, of, of shopping, traffic, everything else. That our plans would never overshadow your plans by becoming incarnate for us. We love you, Lord. We trust you, and we thank you for this church community. In your name, Jesus, amen. We desire to be formed by the Word of God in community. If you have questions about this week's sermon, we would love to hear from you. For more information about our church, please visit centralbible.church.